Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Deeper. And uh, today it's great to have John Sexton with us. John preached on Sunday uh, in our series, Faithful and Fruitful, uh, particularly looking at being faithful and fruitful when we've messed up. Uh, and John, it's great to have you with us today. Lovely to be here, Steve. Yeah, fantastic. So um, we're looking at John 21, uh, verses 15 to 22 today. I think it'd be great if we uh, encouraged you to read that passage. So why don't you press pause now, read John 21, 15 to 22, and then restart the video when you've read it. Great. I hope you've done that. Uh, John, do you want to just quickly summarise your talk from Sunday? Uh, yeah, the, the scene is that um, Peter and the other disciples have, um, uh, in their failure, have gone uh, back to Galilee and they've been fishing and they've been very unsuccessful. And as they come into land, they see a, a figure on the shore who not only says, cast your net out one more time, which is wonderfully successful, but they also see that he's cooking bread and fish on a little barbecue on the beach. And as the dawn breaks, they all sit down together and have this wonderful time together uh, with Jesus after his resurrection. Uh, but during that time, there's some unfinished business Peter uh, and between and Jesus and um, G Peter is asked three times uh, if he loves Jesus by Jesus mm -hmm. uh, and um, his response is each time yes yes he, he really does um, uh, and the, point of the end of that the end of that Peter is restored and re-commissioned re-energized to go on and you know uh, and everyone who reads this will know all the great things that Peter often in conjunction with John who was here and witnessed all this did in the first few chapters together. We lost you for a little second there, John, but I thought we'd be lost you forever, but you came back, which is great. <laughs> so uh, let's just think about the passage. Um, it, it, the whole thing, as you've described, is, I think, a wonderfully evocative story. I, it's, it's one of those stories that when I'm reading it, I can picture in my mind. You know, I can picture the uh, Jesus with the, uh, the the little fire and the fish. I can imagine them all having breakfast together, kind of laughing and joking, especially as you realise who they're with. I can imagine uh, Peter walking with Jesus along the shore of the lake as they have this kind of conversation. Um, it is just an incredibly... Uh, what's the other word I'm thinking of? It's a story that you can absolutely imagine, isn't it? You know, you can, it's, it plays pictures in your mind. It is, and uh, and you don't need. I mean, there are some very good videos on YouTube if you type in uh, "Feed My Lambs." There's some very good reenactments. But but actually, it's such a vivid story. And the reason I chose this one when you gave me the theme, rather than David or Jonah or one of the many other people who've messed up, was this one stresses far more than any of the others uh, how everything can be right again. Yeah, it is. It's a fantastic story of restoration. And the thing that strikes me about this is that um, Jesus doesn't ignore the fact that Peter messed up. Because you know, Jesus already had a, a plan for Peter. You know, he'd said, you know, sometime before, you know, upon this rock, I will build my church. He already knew what he was going to do, Peter. Um, but he kind of ministers into uh, Peter's failure in such a wonderful way. It's very kind of lovingly done, isn't it? Yeah, I think, um, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm perhaps, um, <laughs> uh, if, if something's, troubling me with somebody else often I, I prepare just to not mention it very English and just just carry yeah. on and yeah. often I understand from married people that's often the case in marriages what's wrong nothing you know yeah. uh, but Jesus wants this out and dealt with and out of the way doesn't he that's right and yeah we'll pick up on that I think in the application but I won't go into it now uh, so then there's this uh, little conversation that goes on is there where Jesus says 
Do You Love Me? And Peter's kind of like responding, you know, but um, and it, it leaves him feeling kind of hurt almost because of Jesus asked the question three times. But you brought up in your sermon that the fact that um, Jesus uses different words, Peter uses different words for love. What, do you want, do you want to draw that out a little bit? Okay, well, I, I'm, I'm not a scholar, of course, but uh, I understand that we use one word in love for English for everything being uh, very keen on chocolate all the way through to a sacrificial love that we would we would do, hopefully for God, but more commonly for our children, if we have children uh, or, or uh, for other people. Uh, and um, and so there is a nuance there and perhaps we shouldn't read too much in it into it. Um, so just to divert for a second, um, I, I did say in my sermon that Jesus calls uh, Peter Simon. John rather than Peter and you know is this a removal of his title of Peter or not wanting to embarrass him by calling him my rock when he's being weak but in fact there are other times in scripture where he's called uh, Peter Simon son of John where there's no uh, disrespect yeah. intended so uh, I don't I, this may be the same not to get it overemphasized the word that Jesus uses for love when he asks the question the first few times is agape which is a the highest form of love the sacrificial sort of love that Jesus has for all of us a sacrificial love that lays down his life. Uh, props, parent who uh, gives a kidney for a child, but even more so, a stranger who gives a kidney for someone they don't even know. Um, for a soldier who sacrifices himself to save his platoon, it's a very high and noble form of love. Peter replies uh, in a much more familiar form of love, phylos, from where we go, the word philanthropy, or uh, it's it's a love that we might have that's props. Um, not mock it, but a slightly less sacrificial form of love. Uh, and Jesus answers, uses that in the second question. By the third question, um, he uh, he uses, I lost Jesus himself, and Peter replies that, almost like to bring himself to the level that Peter is prepared to play. Maybe Peter's embarrassed to claim that he has shown sacrificial love at a time when he knows he clearly hasn't. Yeah. Although yeah. with the Holy Spirit in him, with this recommissioning, uh, you'll know that very shortly afterwards, in the very first few chapters of Acts, Peter is quite prepared to die standing up for Jesus. That's right. And I mean, I, I, in my preparation for this, you know, there's, uh, there's quite a few commentators who would say, actually, there's, there's probably no importance in the words. Uh -huh. But you can't help but think, well, maybe there is, you know, because why would John use different words? You know, why would Jesus say one word for love and Peter reply with another word? Uh, you can't help but think that there's something in that. But it is interesting that John never refers to that. The only thing he refers to is that Peter was hurt because he was asked three times, not because of and, the type of love. And, and as, you, as you said earlier, that may be the most important point here. That's the yeah. thing that Jesus Jesus asked him three times to pick up on the fact that he's been denied three times. Um, that, that may be more important. Of course, if you are a biblical scholar uh, and you're asked to write three or 4,000 words on a passage, you will look for everything you can find within exactly. it. Yeah. But, Having said that, uh, John was Peter's friend. Um, John was also very close to Jesus, the disciple who Jesus felt the most affection for, maybe. And he was there through all these events personally, yards away. So he has thought it worthwhile to mention. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the thing that strikes me is that, you know, Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, is now sharing his work with the person who fails him the most. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think there's there's something significant there for us all in, in terms of how we think about failure, how we think about messing up. Uh, that to Jesus, it's it doesn't disqualify us. You know, it, it's simply just something that he'll deal with, and he'll still cause into 
his work in the world. But Jesus is not a is not a member of an interview panel. Uh, you know, sometimes thinks, you know, yeah. did we make the right appointment there? Uh, you know, Jesus doesn't make bad choices when he called Peter. He knew what he was calling. And in fairness, Peter didn't try to pretend something he wasn't when he says, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinful man. You shouldn't even be near me. Jesus made his choices and trusted in those choices. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the things I read, uh, which which really struck me, is that um, here Jesus is is kind of, and it's been interpreted by, by some aspects of the church on this. You know, Jesus is calling Peter to lead the church. You know, he's saying, you know, feed my sheep and look after my sheep. Um, but Jesus doesn't actually say that because he and he, he doesn't give G Peter a title. He doesn't even call him a shepherd. He just says, "These are the things that you must do." Uh, and it's not about status or priority or anything like that. He's just calling Peter to serve him and to serve the church. You know, mm -hmm. feed, feed my people, feed my, uh, take care of my sheep. Um, well, the church is like nothing more. Historically, they love hierarchical power structures, don't they? We love titles, um, don't we? We love um, we love a good title. In the Middle Ages, it reached the extreme where the heads of the church could order wars and people's deaths and things like this. Uh, and that's not Jesus's way. Jesus's way is is surrender leadership. It's he he who would be first among you must first be servant to everybody. Mm. And that's a very different leadership to the way the world practices leadership. Exactly. And uh, I think it's really interesting going right back to the beginning of this where Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, in the passage, it doesn't say who the, what or who these are. Uh, how do you interpret that, that statement? Well, the, um, the commentaries, again, take several approaches. Um, and um, the, um, one of them is, um, you know, he looks around and he, he sees Peter's life. It may not... You know, it may not be exciting, but it's you know he's the he's the owner of a fairly successful fishing business. He he has friends. He has he has he must have a wife somewhere because he's got a mother-in-law, uh, and um, uh, he has his boats and his nets and this 154 fisher, ten shekels a time. That's that's a good day's fishing, isn't it? But do you love do you love me? Are you like are you like the uh, like Zacchaeus? Are you prepared to that has nothing compared to following me? That's what it means. Uh, the way I took when I was speaking. Uh, was the mainstream view in most of the commentaries, which is Peter had bragged that he did love Jesus more than these, and therefore has to be particularly challenged on that point. And that's the first use of the word agape, which is why some of the translations say, do you truly love, mo love me more than these others do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not to embarrass Peter, but just to, so that, he, so that he's brought face to face with the things that he made. Mm, yeah. What do you think? Do you think there's another way of? Looking? Well, I think there's a third way, isn't it? You know, do you love me more than you love the the, the rest of the gang, the disciples? Oh, right. You know, there's a, that way of looking at it because obviously they were with the guys, you know, uh, and you could almost imagine Jesus looking back saying, "Do you love me more than these?" Uh, yeah, you know, and um, because in the end, Peter would be deserted. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd be left to die on his own. And, um, and of course, Jesus alludes to that, doesn't he, uh, later in the passage where um, he talks about, you know, uh, your hands will be stretched out, you'll be led where you don't want to go. Um, and he, he says that to allude to how Peter might die. And of course, we know that by the time John writes this gospel, Peter had already been crucified. 
And, and of course, the story is that he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. So yeah, he, goes it's, from, it's... he goes from being this kind of mess up who, who denied Jesus to this incredibly kind of selfless, brave person who dies for his Lord. Yeah, the um, uh, the complete change in his character after this incident, and of course after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it, it, it is remarkable. Um, but but I think it's good that Jesus challenged him. I think that was the last reading that I did in the original passage when when I was going to cut it off at verse nineteen, because Jesus seems to want to make this point. And there's a there's a line in Julius Caesar from Shakespeare that says, "The brave can only die once; cowards die a thousand times." And Hemingway. <laughs> Hemingway says something very similar in one of the Civil War novels that he wrote when he was in Spain. Um, Peter knows what this is going to cost now. Mm. Um, I was going to cut off there and then I went on to include the bit about John because it makes that point about props, as Rob mentioned last week, we are a bit too concerned at looking about the failings of others, how that makes us either feel better than them or makes us feel entitled to be resentful that they've hurt us in some way and don't even acknowledge it. Um, but um, this makes the point that we have to walk our own road. We have to our own agreement with Jesus to follow him and bear the costs of that whatever any whatever anyone else is doing um can I share one other insight I had while I was speaking yeah, yeah, please do because, uh, because it was about you know um uh, for those who weren't physically in church you started a joke by asking anyone who thought they'd ever slipped up uh, to stick their hands up and you got you got a couple of willing volunteers each time but it is hard I think for Christians you know who slipped up I suspect there are Christians who will admit they've slipped up and those who are sitting there knowing they've slipped up uh, but not being willing to take. And I, I think it must be hard for those in positions of leadership, um, wardens, uh, vicars, priests, to admit they've slipped up in. They have off moments, they have off days, they might have off seasons, and they might occasionally do something that is so embarrassing to their ministry they almost need to step outside it. And yet we need to allow for the fact that other Christians and ministers and church leaders will get things wrong. And it's not about judging them for it, it's about how to help them back into that position that God has called for each of us to be in maybe exactly um, yeah. but it's very very hard for clergy and most clergy are encouraged to have a special counselor that they they unburden to yeah yeah no it's absolutely true and i, I think uh, all church leaders can struggle with just being open and honest about their mistakes you know because uh various people like their leaders to be perfect and, and of course and we are absolutely not no, so let's think about some of the implications of this and uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time just going a little bit wider. So we're going to spend a few moments thinking about what's the applications uh, of this passage that we can take into our lives. Uh, so John, where would you want to start on that? What, what do you think is important for people to pick up for themselves? Well, there's, uh, there's two things I think immediately draw out. Many of us have been brought up in church traditions where there's perhaps an unhealthy attitude on our faults. Uh, and that's, as I suppose, <laughs> that's as bad a, as, as bad a distortion of scripture as to totally say they don't matter at all. You know, the hurt I've done to other people, I I fall from doesn't matter at all. But we can, uh, and perhaps it's a good sign spiritually if we do, that we have got consciences tricked to do something. Mm. But we mustn't allow it. To hold us to hold us back from moving forward how do we put us behind us all had spent his youth murdering and persecuting and encouraging the persecution of the early believers uh, and and yet he had to go on and minister these people and 
if he just said, oh, well, that was all in the past, it was before I became a Christian, that would have shown a gross uh, lack of empathy for, for, for the impact that it had on, on, on people and their families. Uh, but on the other hand, if he'd let it hold him back, there would never have been a New Testament exactly. in the way that yeah. he did. And of course, um, you know, if, if Peter had been held back by his failure, Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have become the, the first church leader. He we wouldn't have the letters of Peter, which are you know key documents in the church. Yeah, um, and and Peter is um Peter Peter is keen to have this the story told, isn't he? John is keen. This is an important story to show that uh, um you you are more than your failings. That, that Jesus sees a different person to the one you see yourself. Yeah, and that's not him. That's not to say you shouldn't deal with the things Jesus obviously took them very seriously, but uh, you you have to uh, you have to allow yourself to grow from that. But there's another implication as well. Just thinking about Paul there, how would his ministry have been if everyone he met remembered as the person who killed their friend or had their parents thrown into prison? Sometimes, um, if like the story of the man who was owed a, a little uh, a massive amount to the king and the king forgave him, and then he went out and beat yeah. up his servant to owe him a few, a few pence. Um, there's a challenge here to then allow other people to move on as well, to help them to move on, help them to grow. And sometimes that's initially not to uh, not to not challenge them on where they've slipped up, uh, but at the end of the day, not to hold that against them either, to let them move on yeah. as well. Yeah. You can not only hold your own sins against yourself, you can hold other people's sins against them as well. I mean, th th this kind of story should, at the very least, teach us a sense of humility, uh -huh. you know, in, in terms of how we see ourselves and how we see others. And um, sometimes we, we want to focus on the things that we do well and ignore the things that we've not done so well. Uh, Peter had to face all of that. He had to face his own humanity, didn't he? Uh -huh. But we, we believe in a gospel that not only puts one person above another in terms of power. We also believe in a gospel that values no one ministry different to any other ministry. Um, and um, people often come up and say, um, you know, I wish I could play, you know, to, to the musicians, I wish I could play as well as you do, uh, or to the speaker, or I wish I could make a point like that, I, I could never. And yet, well, two things. One is sometimes they can, and they can be encouraged into that. Mm -hmm. But other times it may just be their gifting somewhere else. A church is made up of a couple of hundred people, all of whom will meet half a dozen people at least at very minimum in the week ahead uh, who nobody else is going to meet. That's right. And yeah, I think that, that one of the things that uh, uh, I like about the story is, is the way it honours Peter. You know, uh, so Jesus is having this really deep, profound conversation with Peter that we get to listen in on. Mm -hmm. And Jesus elevates him to a, to a place of ministry from this place of failure. Um, and, you know, we can look at Peter and compare him to others, like John, for instance. You know, he's already here comparing himself to John, saying, well, what about him behind us? Uh, and John, you know, is, was obviously a deep thinker. You can't read his gospel or his letters without realising that John was a deep thinker. Um, he could have also, you know, and people did compare Peter to Paul. You know, Paul, a great evangelist, great apostle, travelled all around the place, you know, birthing churches. But all Jesus says to Peter is, don't worry about them. You follow me. You, you find your place and serve me to the best of your ability. And, um, and on that slightly, slightly related subject, because uh, you mentioned about moving on, the, 
uh, you know, everyone, uh, it's easy to find fault in your church. And all around town, you hear people saying what they don't like about their church. But, you know, I look at Christchurch and I see people who five years ago, never mind, weren't in ministry, were in really difficult positions in life. And now they have become, uh, they have grown. They have, yeah. they have allowed that restoration and they're, they're doing all sorts of wonderful stuff that even they wouldn't have seen them doing. And, and I think I'm, I'm in some ways, proud is not the right word, but uh, it gives you a warm glow to feel you're in a church that allows that to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you you and your two years here have seen massive changes in some people's lives, haven't you? Which has been a privilege to see that. And I think that's it's one of the things that we all need to take on board, I think, in terms of, you know, certainly after this story, is that failure does not disqualify us from ministry. Whatever we've done in the past may even be the thing that qualifies us for ministry because we've suddenly learned humility. We know what it's like to be in someone else's shoes, all those kind of things. Uh, it's kind of really important that we understand that failure doesn't disqualify. It didn't disqualify Peter. So why should it disqualify you? I think I just, can I just bring up something else, John? I'm just being conscious of time here. Um, I think one of the things that struck me is uh, Jesus asked Peter a question, do you love me? And, and Peter responds, to the best of his ability, you know I do love you. But it's really interesting where that love led him. You know, it wasn't into an easy life. And uh, we need to understand that, you know. So within this story, we see two things. You know, Jesus says, well, go if you love me, well, then go and feed my sheep. So it gives him a task to do. It doesn't leave him in this nice, warm little bubble where he's, it's just him and Jesus and they're having a great time together. Um, no, and perhaps it, it does seem a little unfair that some Christians will have a superficial, because you should never judge somebody else's life looking in, I've learned that. But superficially, you hear people think, well, if I had the kind of life they had, my Christian journey would be just, yeah. you just can't tell. Um, just about application, one thing there, you said this story, um, and this this restoration enables people to move on. It doesn't enable them to move on. I think massively useful to him as a portfolio, as an experience in his future ministry. Because in those many difficult decades ahead in his ministry, when somebody really messed up, you know, instead of going, ah, oh, you know, he would say, you know what? Yeah. I've done worse. I've done worse than you, you know, Timothy or whoever, you know, yeah. grow from it. That's <laughs> yeah, right. I've been me. there. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Let's uh, just think about some questions for people to reflect on. So here's some questions for you to think about either on your own uh, or if you're in one of our mission communities, a chance to do that together. And it's always important to be able to open up and to share some of these things with each other because that's how we grow, by being able to share uh, our ideas, our thoughts, our experience with other people and allow them to speak into that. So let me encourage you, if you're not in a mission community, to, to join one soon. So, John, uh, what questions would you like to ask people? Okay, well, my first question, just a bit of a preamble. I know that some of the people watching us online may be just coming to faith uh, and maybe carrying a massive burden they need to talk to somebody, the minister, about. Uh, this question is more meant for the bulk of people who are listening are church-going Christians like myself. Uh, so that's not to exclude the former type. Uh, but it's basically, if you can remember a time in your life when you were more passionate, more faithful, your prayer life was strong, achieving more for God, what do you think has changed? Say that last bit again, because uh, the sound... What, what, is, 
sorry, did it jump out for a second? What, what has changed in your life to lead you to that position? How have you slipped props a little back into this rut that Rob was talking about? How have you how have you messed up from where you were and need to get back to where you were again? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I because I, mean, I was thinking of a similar kind of question. That mine was uh, uh, how would you answer Jesus' question? Do you love me? Um, what why why would you give that answer? So you might say, you know, I'm, I'm passionate and all out for you, or I used to be passionate and I'm not so much now. Um, so yeah, kind of reflect on those questions a little bit. What's your second one, John? Uh, well, it's about when other people have hurt us, because yes, we're sometimes too hard on ourselves, but sometimes we're too hard on other people as well. What does reflecting on these patches move in our hearts to tell us how we should respond to someone who's hurt us? How do we help get them back where they need to be as well, without without creating more rift and more confrontation? Mm, that's good. I suppose uh, I've got two questions as well. Um, I think my first one would be, in what area of your life do you need some kind of restoration? Um, and to, to kind of go for a walk with Jesus with that. Um, and I, I mean, what I love in this passage is how lovingly Jesus speaks into Peter's life. I mean, he, he doesn't duck the issues, but you get the feeling it's a kind of tender exchange. Um, so where do you need restoration? Where do you need to be allow Jesus just to bring you back to where you should be. Uh, my final question is, um, do you compare yourself to other Christians? And is that helping you? Because I guess it's not. But do you? Uh, where do you think that comes from? And what do you think Jesus would say to you in that? So they're my questions. John, it's been an absolute delight having you speak at church and to, uh, to share in this video. Um, Thank you for all your service to Christchurch. You've been amazing. Uh, well, I feel like it's been a lot easier now that Dave's taken over as warden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Andy, of course. Uh, uh, it's a tough, tough time to be in Leeds uh, and yourself now without a curate. So um, we all, as church members, pray for each other this week that whatever our slip-ups, we, um, we, we raise our game a little, if nothing else. Thank you, John. So do please join us uh, on Sunday. We'll just be online at uh, 10.30. Uh, just uh, do please subscribe to our YouTube channel because then you get alerts to uh, anything that's going on with, uh, with what we do. So, John, thank you and goodbye to everyone and I'll see you soon. Stay safe. Bye bye.